The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to learn about our podcast production services and view our full lineup of shows. Welcome to a wicked mystery. A paranormal perfect storm known simply as Monsterland. The Monsterland podcast is recorded live in an undisclosed location somewhere in the heart of high strangeness, just outside of Monsterland, Massachusetts. And now, here are your hosts. Paranormal author, researcher, and speaker, Ronnie LeBlanc. And the host of The Curse of Oak Island drilling down on the History Channel, Maddie Blake. Will Ronnie and I be shot for the military document that's on that desk, <laughs> politicians and alien drag, and Snake Plitzkin, UFO hunter. <laughs> All that and more on this week's edition of Monsterland. Hello, Ronnie LeBlanc. Hello, Maddie. How are you? I'm fantastic. Man, when we started this thing, you know, uh, we had no goal. Right. Other than you and I met, both experiencers. And all this weird synergy started happening between us and our personal lives and together, yep. all these coincidences. Synchronicities. Synchronicities. And, yep. and we said, let's do a podcast and just talk about this stuff. And maybe people will come who want a safe space to talk about this. Right. And man, have they already come? What are we, three episodes in? Three episodes in, and we're already uh, over across the pond. Yeah, we've gotten you know? <laughs> uh, stuff from England, Germany. Uh, so it's been awesome. Yeah, it's been great. We, we love it. And please, uh, we're on YouTube now. Um, their videos, uh, other episodes are coming out. Right. You can go to, um, what's our what's our YouTube page? So it's Monsterland TV. Perfect. Monsterland TV, please subscribe, please like. Um, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, all that. Right. Um, but it's already been just so... It's been a, a blast. It really has, and we're so just getting fun. started. So it's all good. It's a good sign. Uh, tonight's guest, um, Dr. Lynn Katai is for those of you who don't know, we're going to talk about the Phoenix Lights tonight. And I was kicking myself <laughs> this week in preparation for this episode because we actually made mention of doing in March a March Madness. Right. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, uh, in episode one, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, March Madness, you know, the greatest events in paranormal history. It came from actually a, a, a person on Facebook before we even did an episode. Right. What do you guys think is the... Well... I mean, how did we not mention the Phoenix, the Lights. Phoenix Lights? And yeah. to me, it's endemic of the problem that we just go Roswell. We, Roswell, Roswell, Roswell in this community. But it's like the Phoenix Lights right here in America, the biggest. 20,000 witnesses, 20, right? So, so Dr. Lynn, just as quick background, and, and by the way, during this interview, weird stuff happens technically, <laughs> which again, talk about synchronicity or, or whatever is going on in the ether in this paranormal mm -hmm. world started to happen during the interview. And you'll hear that during the interview. It's crazy. And <laughs> some weird noises were happening. And well, you'll see in, in just a few minutes. But um, Dr. Lin, for those of you who don't know, you may vaguely remember if you're not really into this stuff, a story coming out in Phoenix, Arizona about the Phoenix lights. Um, and Dr. Lin was a medical doctor, very successful, who witnessed these things, along with the 20,000 other, at least, probably. Mm -hmm. And her life changed because she couldn't, she, she sat silent with it for a long time, but could no longer be silent. Right. 
and she truly changed her life. She became now a lecturer, author. She made this very successful award-winning documentary, which you can see on Amazon Prime, by the way. It's phenomenal. Um, telling this story about what happened. And, it's, and I feel like, Ron, tell me what you think about this. I feel like, I, I want to be delicate here because it, it, it's, it's a name. It's becoming a brand, the Phoenix Lights. But sure. I feel like Phoenix Lights is almost a misnomer. I feel like it hurts it a little bit because it's so much more than lights in the sky. Right. right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's really the orange orbs is really what, <laughs> what people had saw. And, she, you know, she took pictures of three different ones kind of floating outside her bedroom window before this whole thing happened before it happened and, there, and but there's there's elements of high strangeness there's craft people saw crash they didn't right. just see blinking lights in the sky or non-blinking lights in right. the sky as it were and were confused this was tens of thousands of people right here in the u.s of a not too long ago in the late 90s right. that saw what they believed to be craft and they saw from those craft the lights actually detaching Flying off like the orbs, and then coming back and reattaching, redocking to the to the ship, which is crazy. <laughs> so um, she's going to get into all that. It's it's she's a just a lovely person, and she wants to come to Boston here uh, outside <laughs> in Monster. Wants to come to Monsterland, which I'm all for. <laughs> Down. Um, but I keep looking at this document you have, this case file, this military document from a military base miles from where we sit, just a few mm -hmm. miles from where we sit, right outside of Monsterland. Um, so why don't we get to it and open that case file? Sure. You are listening to the Monsterland Podcast with Ronnie LeBlanc and Maddie Blake. Now let's open another Monsterland case file. So this is case file 19-5208. Now see, I don't even want to open this <laughs> because I don't like it when you hand me government files that you're shady about how you got a hold of them. <laughs> uh, but All right, I don't even want to open this yet because... I will. Okay. But I'm, uh, let me just say this, because I think, I think some people are going to find us every episode based on what we're talking about, based on the subject material. So right. I think people who are into the Phoenix Lights will be listening to this for the first time. And they'll be like, what is Monsterland? Real quick, mm -hmm. 5,000 acre state forest, just a few miles from here, right. where you had experiences. It's, it's got everything. It's got UFO. UFOs, orange orbs, Bigfoot. Ghost, everything. And a military base. <laughs> right, very right close. Near by. there where some weird stuff happens, which is what this is about. Correct. But this all ties into, and what you try to do is take case files that happen in Monsterland yep. that tie into whatever our subject matter Correct. is. Correct, yes. And we have, a, we have a, some correlations here with the Phoenix Lights that have to do with orange orbs specifically. Right. So before I open this case file nervously... <laughs> Because, again, we're miles from this government <laughs> base. Uh, you had experiences with orange orbs. Yeah. Tell me what happened and when this happened. So this goes back to 2012. Okay. Okay. And this was probably a couple weeks before the Finding Bigfoot episode had, had aired. Where you were on Animal Finding Plant. Big, Bigfoot. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So this episode that I was in was going to be airing in a couple weeks. And I was coming home. Uh, I was working at the Boston Herald. I was the director of digital for advertising and uh, living in Lemster, coming off Route 2, and off to my left, I noticed these two balls of light, orange, perfect spheres, looked like basketballs in, in the sky that were almost like these little suns. How far were you from actually what we call Monsterland at this point? Um, probably uh, maybe a mile and a half. So, so you're was, right there. I was pretty close. Okay. And I'm coming off Route 2, and I see these two lights, and they're from my left, kind of flying 
one following the other. And I rolled down my window, and this is like in the winter time, and I didn't hear a thing. It was completely silent. They flew right over my car. But when I looked at them, it was just this feeling overcame uh, me that was, you know, you're looking at something very special. Not many people see this. This is, they're not from around here. These were like, not necessarily words popping into my mind, but it was that, that kind of feeling. And I was just mesmerized by them. So I get home and I... Now, I, hold on. I, yeah. I, I need to stop you there. Sure. Because we're going to get into this again with Dr. Lin, but that's something that people who experienced the Phoenix Lights claim, that they felt some sort of... I don't want to. I don't want to sound too woo-woo. But they felt some sort of inner peace, or, or like I'm lucky to be watching this type of thing. Right now, do you think that's something that might just happen to a human being when they see something weird, or did you feel like no, this is something? I, yeah, I felt like it was really. It was very powerful. It was very. Um, it was almost like a spiritual kind of experience, and it and it really shook me a little bit because I didn't know what the hell I was seeing, and um, I've never heard about them before really and any cars on the road at this point oh yeah there, were, yeah there was different cars and that's the other part of the story that makes it kind of crazy is that i you know was coming to a, a stoplight and they kind of flew over me and and kept on kind of going towards what looked like lunenburg which is the next city over of, yeah. of lemster and fitchburg and there are different cars at the lights going in different directions but and that's probably maybe uh, a half a mile from from my house and uh got home and told my wife what I saw. She's just kind of like, okay. And I get on the computer and I'm just kind of stirring in my head. I just didn't understand, you know, what was, what did I just see, you know? Hold and on. so I, I get on. Hold on. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> more crazy. I'm stuff. telling you every time, every time. Oh, I don't have uh where here. Yeah. I didn't touch them this whole this is incredible. All right. Ugh. This happens every... All right. <laughs> My God. Ian, how many... Uh, like, this is like the fourth Would you say... Time. But I mean, but I mean, Ian, our, our, our director has done thousands of, of... Literally thousands of shoots since the 90s, right? You started this business and like... A lot of weird stuff. Since you've been doing this particular stuff. podcast, right? Yes. Thank not, you. Not Same cool. thing on Oak Island, by the way. Everything breaks. We we've had guys going to Oak Island. Sorry. And go and and say, uh, oh no 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 no, guys, you don't understand. You understand. This equipment doesn't do anything. We, I, I met, and then they get on Oak Island. They're like, I don't know why it's doing this. I don't know. Why. <laughs> like every time, it's almost funny when they start bragging about their equipment. How this? No, the electrical interference cannot affect this. Don't worry about a thing. Bat, there's no batteries. There's a backup to the backup to the backup. Dead <laughs> the second it starts working on the island. So anyway. Um, there's something more at play here. Okay. So you're, uh, we, when we last left you yes. before the, the orange orb started infecting us with their hoodoo, <laughs> um, you're on the road, there's other cars, you're feeling some sort of spiritual or at least emotional connection. Yeah. And then what happened? So I get home, tell my wife and she kind of rolls her eyes or whatever. I get on the computer and for whatever reason, I log into Facebook and I'm just sitting there. And again, this is just kind of going through my head. I'm like freaking out. Like, I can't believe it. And I see my friend who I haven't talked in a while, uh, this kid Ryan Malahi, I can see that he's online. So something tells me to tell him what I saw. Okay, and I, and I, all right, just kind of listen to it. And again, not like this voice, but just kind of this feeling like, tell him. So I sent him a message. I'm like, Ryan, you're not gonna believe what I just saw. Sent him a note. He's like, and I said, um, maybe 20 minutes ago, I said three 
uh, two balls of light just flew over my car on my way home. And I see that he's typing and he's in all caps. He's like, dude, you're blowing my mind. He goes, were you at the, uh, he names the intersection where I was at. And I was like, how the hell did you know that? He goes, dude, I was on, I was there at the stoplight the same time that you saw these things. Now here's the thing that gets wild. He then tells me he's a MUFON investigator, (laughs) (laughs) which I had no idea. The reason I reached out to him in the first place, because I knew he was into this kind of stuff. And I thought that, I don't know, I was maybe looking for some kind of answers from him. And uh, when he told me that, I was floored. And so we ended up getting together for a drink and talking about these different things and his experiences. And we grew up together and stuff and kind of lost touch. But that weird connection. And then I just put that, those orange orbs. Uh, UFOs, that connection, then Bigfoot, all seem to kind of come to play. And that's where it really kind of got me into this whole thing. And you wrote the book about this area that details uh, the, the connections between orange orbs and Bigfoot and more. And right. by the way, if you're listening to us thinking, oh, Ronnie LeBlanc co-hosts this podcast. What a <laughs> wacko. He saw orange orbs. <laughs> well, then let's open case file number 195208 which is a government document, U.S. Army Intelligence Reports on Unidentified Flying Objects. This is the government um, right at Fort Devens. Can I say this? Yeah. Army Base, Massachusetts. I hope so. (laughs) 1952. Guess what they saw flying over Fort Devens? Eight orange orbs. Eight orange orbs. And you didn't know this when you experienced what you experienced, of course? None. None. And as I started digging, I couldn't believe it because there were My God. very limited cases that were around. And uh, Terry Ray wrote a book called uh, The Worldwide Invasion of the Orange Orbs. And he had mentioned that there were only three sightings of orbs in the 1950s. Well, this is the fourth. This was one that was literally flew. They flew over Fort Devens. Uh, the military saw these different orbs. They came in at different times, traveled different directions. But guess what? They were silent. They stood there hovering. They were orange in color, the same descriptions. And this is going back, you know, over 50 years ago. 1952, is that correct? Yeah, 52. The Fort Devens Airport duty officer reported sighting, um, what's it say, an aircraft which was further to the north than the unidentified objects. These objects, which changed directions, did so in a gradual swing. All objects except the first one sighted appeared in steady flight. The first object appeared to be oscillating up and down. (laughs) Lights utilized by conventional aircraft were not sighted on the objects. Another common thing that's obviously there's no blinking lights. There's no identifiable uh, military lights that would be on any sort of craft. The objects, uh, let's see, uh, the G2 at Fort Devens, I guess that would be a, a... a military um so yeah what's that got it thank you i was about to say a person <laughs> i guess that'd be the uh, commanding officer no it's a jet you asshole <laughs> the g2 for devons reported the objects were sighted by several people in one area and two people at a different location and then it goes on at approximately uh 10 45 hours january 1950 uh 52 and it names all the officers that said they saw this thing. Um, 
they thought at first it was a plane, then they realized it wasn't. Upon further uh, observation, they saw it was not a plane, but rather an object with the appearance with the appearance of a large, shiny metal ball. I mean... <sighs> so that's what's very interesting about this case as well, is that they sighted one of these orbs almost without its plasma or this orange, this light around it. They, and they saw actually it saw this ball. Naked, if it were, just ho- just hovering, right, silently in the air. <laughs> and this is, you know, a few miles away from Monsterland. This is at Fort Devens, and the base its specialty was intelligence. That's so they they trained spies at this base, right? Which is pretty wild. And years later. You had a uh, murder-suicide on this base out mm-hmm. of nowhere, which I think one of the uh, big shows, like, you know, whatever those murder, true murder crime shows are, 48 Hours, they did a piece yeah. on it, uh, you know, murder at a military base. Um, a lot of strangeness at this base. Absolutely. A lot of strangeness in the woods next to the base. And a lot of strangeness following you home <laughs> and me home. Yeah, and actually here at the studio. And now here at the studio tonight. Um, so, you know, another connection. It's another connection, this time going back to 1952, and then we vault forward to from, from, from outside of Boston in 1952 to the American Southwest in 1997, and we have more orange orbs, we have more large silent craft, and we have more high strangeness as we talk to the great... Dr. Lynn Katai, author of The Phoenix Lights. So Dr. Lynn, uh, a lot of times with sightings, uh, people say, you know, it was a life-changing event. For you in particular, it truly was a life-changer. It was a career-changer. For those that don't know, could we start what you saw at, at, at first when this phenomenon started? What exactly did you see? Okay, as as you mentioned, I am a healthy skeptic. I have never been into the topic. I had no interest, no knowledge. Uh, I am a medical doctor uh, since 1976. Um, When this fell in my lap, uh, literally and figuratively, in 1995, two years before the mass sighting, both my husband, who's also a healthy skeptic and a physician, and I had a very close sighting to our home of orbs, these oval-shaped objects that were in a pyramid formation right outside our bedroom window, one wall of our bedroom, and we live mountainside in Paradise Valley. If they want to take a look at the Phoenix Lights Network, www.thephoenixlights.net website photo page, um, you'll see the topography from our window, which one wall is a window. Um, We get to see whatever pops up out there. We're very familiar with what planes and helicopters and streetlights and car lights and so forth look like. This was nothing like that. And it was very close to our home, less than 100 yards from our home a little below us over a very treacherous desert landscape and when i looked at them my first reaction coming from a a video uh background and and our our, uh vital health programs are being distributed by discovery education as we speak so i wanted to grab my video camera but didn't want to miss anything it was downstairs and i tried to take everything in mentally the shape the color the the size they were about three to six feet each, depending on how close they were. As we watched in awe 
the top orb without budging from the other two started to implode and that is so difficult to describe in 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 uh, logical language i mean like a, like a dimmer switch as if it was cloaking that's the yeah. only thing that yeah. i can uh, liken it to and even after it disappeared it felt like it was still there mm. Where did it go? Anyway, I stepped out on the balcony, got a two, we got a picture of the two lower orbs that were still there and immediately noticed an eerie silence as if time had stopped. I always go back to this sighting because I saw this up close and personal and I have to admit, which I did not admit to anyone, until two years later, after thousands of people saw what I had been seeing for two years, that it felt like there was, as, as intently as I was watching these two lower orbs, it felt like something was watching me. Two months before the mass sighting in 97, January, I noticed three giant balls of amber light far west behind the city, and they were in a line formation. And I watched them thinking, wait a minute, they're amber. They're huge balls, and this was at a distance. They're in a, a formation, even though it was a line formation, and they seemed to implode as I watched from right to left, very similar to 95. Well, anyway, I get out on the balcony, I go to shoot the three in a row, and suddenly six lights pop up on top of the three, massive span over a mile wide, I started to shake. And if you go to the photo page on the Phoenix Lights Network website, the first picture looks wavy. That's why I was shaking. And now for anyone that doesn't know what happened on March 13, 1997, while thousands of people statewide and beyond were looking up at the sky for a glimpse of the Hale-Bopp comet, which was very clear in the northwest sky. They also caught a glimpse of these mile, and we just learned from Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, who got thousands of reports, that one of the craft, and there were multiple craft, by the way, which we'll get into, was eight miles wide. So we're wow. talking one wow. to eight miles wide. Either these V formations of lights in equidistant formation, Vs, delta, and boomerang shape, or actual craft. And um, if you go onto the gap page, Geospatial Animation Project page on the Phoenix Lights Network website, you will see a 12-year study and two or more people had to see the same craft to be put into this study of thousands of reports from the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, from Village Labs, which was a computer lab clearinghouse here locally, to um, Councilwoman Frances Barwood, who was the only elected official who innocently asked for an investigation months later in May at a council meeting, and she was plastered to the wall. There was so much ridicule and, and ostracizing at the time and from uh, Arizona MUFON. And it, the conclusion was that there were 10 different craft. Now, and they're very different if you look at those pictures. Now, whether it was one craft that could morph into looking differently mm. or the perspective from where the person was standing or a parade, which is what finally was concluded by the investigators because the mass sighting, and you'll hear it was one or two hours, and it was two two events. It was many events, and it was for over a dozen hours. Actually, on March 13th, the sightings began, daylight sightings, at 3 p.m. in Arizona, 5 o'clock hour in New Mexico by Native Americans, 7 o'clock hour in California, 11 o'clock hour, there's a report 
the two commercial airline pilots, two separate airlines, saw one of these crafts cover Las Vegas. And that's a story in itself. Wow. And then at 3 a.m. the next morning, while this is all still going on, I don't know about you, but I haven't heard or seen anything like this in 21 years. And there's so much more to this story, but we can get into this if, if you have any questions at this point. We have a lot. We do. <laughs> Dr. Lynn, I just want to kind of rewind back a little bit to your um, initial experience the first time you saw those orbs because I got into this whole thing because of orange orbs um, I had a um, kind of a Bigfoot encounter when I was younger um, but there's a lot of similarities with your story uh, with with my experiences the same thing but what one thing I was curious is when I had my first orange orb encounter I had two of them basically flying over me as I was driving I looked at them and I, I had this feeling of they weren't from around here, that this was something special. Not many people get to experience this. What was your kind of feeling? I think you had that similar kind of sentiment when you had your first kind of experience when you're taking those pictures. Absolutely. I mean, both my husband and I stood in awe. And you would hear thousands of people, over 10,000 people, uh, remark the same thing during the mass sighting. I felt obliged as a physician to let people know that they're not crazy, even though most anomalies can be explained. Only a small percent cannot, five to 10% at most cannot. But just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. We may just be looking on an AM dial for an FM frequency. Mm. So I, I really felt obliged as a physician to let people know they're not alone. And I welcome people to share because when you don't share a paranormal experience, uh, it, it, it festers and, and sharing is, is healing and cathartic. Right. And by the way, there has not been one. Not one credible report in 21 years, over 21 years, of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights phenomena. Mm -hmm. So that in itself is, is really telling. And I don't know if, if you've read my book, and I hope that you do, The Phoenix Lights, The Skeptic's Discovery, that we are not I alone, have, which yeah. took seven years. Uh, I pushed my medical career after thousands of people saw what I had been seeing. I wanted to get to the bottom of it and find a logical explanation. Dr. Lynn, you mentioned about the UFO experience and a lot of... Um, you remind me of, of Betty Andreessen, and if you're not familiar, she actually had her first experience in Monsterland, in Lemonster, Massachusetts, and um, her whole thing was that this was a kind of a spiritual experience. She referred to the Watchers as almost like angelic beings. Do you feel that's the same kind of scenario for you, that this was yeah, really a really spiritual awakening? Thank you for bringing that up, actually. You're welcome. Half my book is about the Phoenix Lights mass sighting. I, re I just told the story as it unfolded, which is so fascinating in and of itself because there was no investigation, no explanation at all. And then suddenly, months later, June 18th, 1997, there was a front page article on, U on USA Today that opened up our citing to international scrutiny was the first time that people outside of Arizona heard about it and we were deluged by media from all over the world and once they started talking to the witnesses their stories were so detailed and heartfelt they too were saying why isn't there an investigation why isn't there an explanation the very next morning June 19th our former governor Symington 
called an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon to divulge the culprit of the lights over Phoenix, and he comes marching out, hmm. one of his aides, in a giant alien head costume and making a mockery of it. How mad were you when you saw that, uh, Dr. Lin? How, how, how upset, how upsetting was that to you? It was very upsetting. It was certainly upsetting for parents who saw these gigantic, massive, larger than two gigantic shopping centers go right over their head, and, and they're making a mockery of it, it, right. it and, and fun of it. And when I called the air traffic controllers the morning after the mass sighting, they shared with me that not only did it appear again, the same exact phenomenon in the same exact location, as you can see from my pictures alone, um, but a private pilot had called into the tower to say, what the hell are these lights in front of me about five miles out as he was on approach? Well, we just found out last summer that that, and I actually talk about that in the book. I, I said exactly what I just told you. Mr. We just found out last summer that that pilot was none other than actor Kurt Russell. <laughs> yes. How awesome Did is that? that? Yeah. Dr. Lynn, we have a little sound here we want to play uh, right now. Here, here's Kurt Russell making that admission on a British show. Here, here we go. Tail number for that plane was Bonanza 2 Tango Sierra, and I was the pilot. No, no. way. Oliver and I. doesn't say that in the yeah. briefing. Oliver and I. Well, I should have yeah. read to the end. Yeah. <laughs> Oliver and I were, were flying in. I was flying him to go see his girlfriend. And uh, we were on approach. And uh, I saw six lights over the airport in absolute uniform in a V shape. And, I, and Oliver said to me, I, I was just looking at him and I was coming in. We're maybe a half a mile out. And Oliver said, Pa. Do you, what, is, what are those lights? And I, and I then it kind of like came out of my <clears throat> reverie, and, and I said, I don't know what they are. I said, uh, he said, are we okay here? And I said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him, and I reported it. And they said, we're not painting anything. We don't show anything. I said, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to declare it's unidentified, it's flying, and it's six objects. Mm -hmm. We landed. I taxied, dropped him off, took off, went back to L.A., Never said a word. He never said a word. I never thought of it. Two years later, Goldie is watching a television show when I came home. Yeah. And the show is on UFOs. But as I'm, I, I came home, hey, honey, how's it going? And I'm kind of hearing this t the TV going, and I stopped, and I started watching, and it was on that event. Now, that was the most, um, that was the most viewed mm -hmm. UFO event. Over 20,000 people uh -huh. saw that. Uh -huh. And I'm watching this, and I f I'm feeling like uh, Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> in in uh, Close, Close Encounters of the Third Count, it's like, why, why do I know this, you know? What? And it's not clear to me. And finally I said, then they said the pilot reported it, a general aviation pilot reported it on landing. I had never thought of it since then, and I said, I, that was me. I, that was me. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, I'll go to my logbooks. So I went to my logbooks, and there was the flight at that time, and I didn't mention anything about the UFO. The fascinating part of that to me Whoa. is that it yeah. would just went literally out of my head. Mm. Yeah. And I, Oliver never mentioned it. And had I not seen that show, I'd have never thought of it again. To your wonderful question about uh, orbs and how they affect people, half my book is about the Phoenix Lights and details about how the story unfolded, and then I get into the history of UFOs, which I had no idea. I mean, this has been going on since human documentation began, mm -hmm. and um, there's even mention of, of similar phenomena in the Bible, Sumerian writings, India writings, right. and uh, yeah, pictures.
sculptures, frescoes in the 15th and 16th centuries, and we have uh, the Foo Fighters, they call them the same phenomena. Um, Dr. Richard Haynes, who was an authority uh, for pilot sightings of these phenomena, the same orbs that my husband and I saw right out our window in, in twos and threes were flying around uh, aircraft during World War II. They called them Foo Fighters, and each side thought the other side had this advanced spy technology. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't until after the war that everybody found out nobody had this spy technology. There is so much more to the story and to the history and similar uh, sightings. In fact, Belgium in the 90s had very similar sightings to ours, and, and they're a model for what should happen. They joined forces with the universities and, and military and civilians and uh, scientists to find out what, what was going on. And, um, and then you come up to a month before our mass sighting, by the way, there was another mass sighting of the same exact phenomena because people took pictures and video of them in St. Petersburg, Russia that are similar to the different craft that are on our GAP page, GAP page on the Phoenix Sites Network. But anyway, half, half the book is about that. The other half, which is really interesting, is a number of witnesses had shared with me that they had had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting. Wow. And I found that really poignant because I did too. And I go into it, I let it all out in the book, but I thought, geez, could there possibly be? And this was a, a near-death exciting experience that I had when I was eight years old. It changed my life forever. Talk, talk about now the near-death experiences, right? That connection to this. It, it sounds like the modern-day shamanic <clears throat> experience. Um, in your when you had this it brought you a flashback to your near-death experience as a child where you saw three white robed beings right above the earth right uh and they kind of showed you humanity and kind of told you it's not your time and sent you back and i when i read that i just thought of the three orbs that you saw and that connection do you think there's a coincidence that those three orbs are connected to those three beings of light you saw as a child I have to tell you that I have been asked that a number of times through the years. And, um, you know, as a healthy skeptic, I have to just leave the door open. I, mm -hmm. I don't know for sure, but I have to say that the fact that I saw them in 95 um, and my near-death experience was reawakened um, right before the mass sighting happened. Uh, is there a connection if you start connecting the dots? Because um, as you said, I mean, I, I uh, don't talk about it much and it isn't, but it is in the book and I do talk about it at my lectures. Um, my near-death experience was as real as I'm talking to you now. And uh, when I, I didn't know what it was, I just knew that at the time that I was not alone. Want to go deeper into the mystery? Get the book Monsterland, Encounters with UFOs, Bigfoot, and Orange Orbs by Ronnie LeBlanc. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere fine books are sold. We are talking, of course, to the great Dr. Lynn Kitai, the book The Phoenix Lights, a skeptic's discovery that we are not alone. You can go to thephoenixlights.net. Uh, Dr. Lynn, thank you so much for this time. I wanted to ask one final question from my end. Um, you know... I was lamenting before this interview on this very podcast that we still talk about Roswell so much in these other cases, and yet we have what really is arguably, or maybe inarguably, the greatest mass sighting in human history right here in Arizona. Um, what do you think the future holds? Do you think your work 
and 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 all this talk about it will grow? Do you think they might come back? Like, what's your mm. gut feeling every day? Do you think it's the end in Phoenix? Well, uh, no. <laughs> I have to share, first of all, one of the main reasons I came forward, besides as a physician letting people know that they're not alone uh, and that they're not crazy and that it's important to share and cathartic and healing to share, but as a scientist, as, a, as a, an experiencer myself, and certainly as an educator, um, how to get the information out there. I couldn't just stick it in a drawer in good conscience and, and have to say that this has grown worldwide. I mean, I, it, it is incredible. Absolutely. When I first came forward in 2004 the official and accepted except for the uh, witnesses of course explanation of the phoenix lights that they were merely military illumination flares well we have come a long long way and it's not just me i mean i i am so grateful for the people that joined us in the documentary and we have incredible people and by the way the former governor yeah finally he's changed his mind right what, turned, do you, yeah. what do you make of that after, after 10 years he came forward right after the 10th anniversary to say that he actually saw one of these crafts and that it was otherworldly. And by the way, in December, the, the front page, uh, you know, the New York uh, Times article divulging that the Pentagon, through Harry Reid, has had a, um, a study of UFOs, a $22 million study of pilot and military uh, sightings. And and the um, it really went viral. And the, uh, the articles uh, subsequently named the Phoenix Lights as one of the most important mass sightings uh, ever. So um, it has grown into the most witnessed, most documented, and most important mass sighting in modern times and um it'll just keep on growing people worldwide and, and I, i'm grateful for you guys to get this information out there because for those who have never heard about it or haven't heard the real facts i've tried to get the i've done the homework i've tried to get the the data out there and not con to convince anybody of anything but to to let them know that there is data out there that they can seek out and learn and grow if they choose to everybody has has a choice some people can't deal with this topic and some people don't want to and that's okay everyone in their own time but right. it is there if right. they choose to and um you know i'm just i'm just thrilled that, that people have really embraced it and and have appreciated uh the work that's gone into this and and i and i always tell people keep looking up because uh they're showing themselves worldwide and they continue to show themselves in arizona um that has not stopped it will continue and and hopefully um one day we'll know who's behind all this love it uh dr lynn we thank you so much and i gotta let you know you know we kind of alluded to some high strangeness uh during this interview the entire time especially when you're talking about the orbs and 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 previous experiences uh you know uh, near-death experiences our lights here in the studio because this is being filmed they film ronnie and i we're going crazy, and I'm looking at Ian, our producer-director, and he's going, I'm not touching anything. He's holding his hands up going, I don't know <laughs> what is going on. So uh, I just wanted to let you know that, that uh, <laughs> all kinds of technical things are going on when you were talking about that stuff. So there's that. Pretty wild. That's important to know that we are not alone. Right. Oh, thank you, Dr. Lynn, and uh, thank you so much for being on the show. It was an honor. Thank you, Lynn. It's an honor to be here with you guys. Thank you. You are listening to the Monsterland Podcast with Ronnie LeBlanc and Maddie Blake. Now it's time for Monster Mail. If you have questions or comments, you can reach us on our Monster Mail. Ronnie, how can they get their messages to us? Uh, MonsterlandReport at gmail.com, or they can go to Facebook, Monsterland Podcast, Twitter, Instagram, Monsterland Pod. So I've taken two off Facebook. Great. Um, this one is from Rick H., 
on Facebook. He said, I love the micro episode. That was last <laughs> week, our first live on the road. We that were a lot of fun. We were reacting to, you can go back and listen to it, um, reacting to the Mars non-press announcement, as it were. <laughs> um, Dave Mustaine is a god, LOL, <laughs> which is, if you go back and listen, you'll get that. I definitely personally believe we are living through disclosure right now. Uh, I think everyone's starting to have their eyes opened a little bit now, for sure. I think that uh, it's going to be an awesome year and next year as well. I think there's going to be a lot that's going to be being peeled away. Yeah, it really does feel like they are slowly and surely. You know what's funny? We were talking today off off the air, as it were, and I was talking about Close Encounters because I was doing an interview on, on uh, where was it? Was it my radio show today, I think? And someone mentioned Close Encounters. I felt like the guy on Close Encounters. Uh, oh, no, no. Oh, no. Kurt Russell. It's our clip. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, I'm sorry. Yeah. Kurt Russell himself yeah. saying, we just pl- we happened to play it on my radio show because we're talking about this. Right. And uh, he said, I felt like Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters yeah. of the Third Kind. And I thought about how Steven Spielberg chose to um, play the music. You know, we connect to to whatever alien species it was through music. Sure. Which I thought was such a brilliant choice. Yeah. And then in recent movies, um, you know, like the the one, uh, what was the recent movie that came out with the with the actress uh, Amy Adams? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Arrival. Arrival. Mm-hmm. Awesome movie. Excellent. Dealing with a lot of different issues and everything, but it was funny that we connected through like math. Right. You know, or right. symbol. You know, her she was a language expert and like it was an equation and all that. And I just thought, boy, it seems like, and I know this sounds out there, but it feels like, and I've heard this theorized before that like the CIA will will feed or whoever it is, whoever the cabal is, will mm. feed information, whether Hollywood knows it or not, whether it's subconscious or not or indirect or direct, but they'll just feed them little pieces of truth. And then someone like Spielberg will be like, how do we connect right. tones, music, you know? And it just feels too... yeah. And I feel Coached. like, yeah, it just feels so, like, how would you even begin to make that up? Mm. And, and it all relates, and it build, It feels like it's been building since, since maybe Roswell, I don't know. Or maybe, right. as we mentioned, we've, we might have just discovered that Aleister Crowley is, started this whole thing. Big portal. Whatever it is, it seems like it's building to this point, and lately, for whatever reason, um, they're giving us more meat. Yeah, and, and a lot more to chew on. A lot more to before. chew on, and it'll just keep coming out little bit by little bit by little bit so that when they do make the big announcement, it won't even be a big announcement. Right. So well, like, we yeah, knew there was life on We already knew that. Right. Yeah. Uh, this one comes from Griselda S. on Facebook. Uh, guys, I had an out-of-body experience and saw my body s- uh, asleep sitting in my bed mm. and saw a very bright being who gave me a message about not being scared of death. Whoa. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? Wow. We were all together by telepathic communication. We communicated. What do you think I saw? Who was that? I can mm. remember feeling great love when I returned to my body. It was unnerving not to know. Wow. Now, I actually messaged her really quick and said, were you sick or had you recently had any sort of situation where you were... Uh, near death because that to me sounded like a near death experience sure. right yeah, it does. she said no she's i was just uh, sleeping in bed what are your thoughts as you as you hear that it sounds very similar to other people's um abduction experiences when they're kind of meeting these energy beings these angelic beings um and there's there's 
Dr. Lynn talks about this in her book as well towards the end about this whole thing being a very spiritual experience and wondering, you know, she had her own experience with these type of energy beings, wondering, are they us in the future? Is this right. the um, kind of like the post after death kind of dimension or what have you? So I, I find it um, pretty incredible, though, that so many people have this type of experience and they all echo that same tone which is love and about yeah taking care of the, the earth and so i feel like it's all coming from the same source right um but that's pretty awesome yeah now i hate to be this guy but but i i'm just gonna throw it out there based on my research and my experiences and admittedly where i come from i admit that that's part of my bias like yeah. my upbringing and stuff i believe that although we are talking about a lot about peace and love vis-a-vis apparitions and aliens and mm. near death and all that, I do believe that there is a nefarious aspect to that. I'm sure. not saying, I'm not saying that it all is, but I'm saying what better way to try to grab someone's soul. If that's your goal, than peace and right. love. An angel and of light. We will open. It's yeah. the oldest lie in the book. It's, it's yeah. in the old, it's, it's, you know, it's in, it's in the old Testament. It's uh, you oh. can be gods. Ye can be yeah. gods. You know, yeah. the devil said to Adam and Eve, like what? God doesn't want you to know that you can do everything he can do. Eat the, eat the tree. Come on. Right. So I believe that, and I'm just putting this out there as a warning mm -hmm. for those who want to take it. And those who want to tell me I'm crazy and screw you, they're angelic beings. Fine. But I do think that there is an, uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Well, well I, it's interesting, like, you know, in this, her encounter, uh, is telling her to, you know, uh, not worry about fear. So there's, mm -hmm. the messaging is not one where there's other experiences that fear seems to be the goal of these beings, you know, yeah. for these people. So this seems a little bit different, but I, I agree with there's definitely some uh, negative ones out there. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I don't want to, negate anyone who's having this super positive experience it's making right. them become vegan as dr lynn said or, or or become one with the earth and all that whatever but you know i do know that there are cases that started like that mm -hmm. and turned very bad very quickly and that the only thing and i gotta say it because this isn't a christian podcast it's a paranormal <laughs> podcast but i gotta say in these encounters the only thing that stopped it was bringing up the name of christ right. or some sort of exorcism right. which to me is frightening mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and then the whole thing that we brought up couple weeks ago with Crowley and that damn lamb right the portal opening up and who looks like a gray so yeah. uh, uh, so tread lightly Griselda and everybody um I, you know just tread lightly that's a great be, be cautious be careful be open but maybe not too open it's just like a relationship it's just like dating you can't just go out there and lay your heart on the ground <laughs> and have no self-protection just say like Take me. Well, I think, you know. you're going to get your heart ripped out. You're going to get a heartbroken, right? Having fear is, is good to some extent, but I think that, in essence, it's not good. You know? Can we call it cautiousness? Yeah, sure. Cautious sure. optimism? Okay. So maybe open yourself up to the whatever it is, but then, like, keep a crucifix. <laughs> <laughs> and when you date. Some holy water. <laughs> also, yeah. When you date, sprinkle holy water on the person the first night. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up because now I'm going to start. We're going to get. Jesus. <laughs> um, we are on iTunes, SoundCloud. We are on YouTube, Monsterland TV. You can watch us. You can listen to us. Please subscribe. If you like yes. this, please share it. Um, it just, you know how it goes. You listen to other podcasts. You got to share. You got you to gotta review. 
and that'll help build this thing. Right, help us grow. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Felix in England and Mike, they subscribed. Thank you, guys. Saw that. That was awesome. And um, we love you. And just keep leaving. And as Dr. Lynn Katai said, keep looking up the book, The Phoenix Lights, A Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not Alone. Uh, The documentary is on Amazon Prime. And you can visit thephoenixlights.net for more information. For Ronnie LeBlanc, I'm Maddie Blake. Thank you for joining us in Monsterland. And remember, Monsterland is not just a place. It's a space. Thank you for joining us on the Monsterland podcast. If you or someone you know has an experience to share, or if you have questions, you can reach us at monsterlandreport at gmail.com. Find us on social media at Monsterland Pod. Until we meet again in Monsterland. Monsterland.